Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. My wife and I are on the journey of teaching our son how to drive. It's exciting. It's good. He's doing a great job. Josiah, he's doing a wonderful job. Passed the written test with flying colors, and now he's on to the driving test. Um, Just go to my Facebook page. I will let you know when we're on the road, where we're going, so you can kind of stay clear. No. No, he's doing great. Uh, there is an Oregon driving book for parents that looks like this. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually a really good book. I don't know if you've got kids that have been driving kind of on that journey. I just remember when I was a kid in California, they send you to a class in the summer and show you movies of people dying. Getting their heads cut off because they looked out the door. I don't know, stuff like that. Red Asphalt 1, Red Asphalt 2. I remember those movies. Kind of a scared straight thing. Uh, but they didn't have this book when I was a kid. But it's a great book, The Oregon Parent Guide to Teen Driving. And so we've been working through that. And, and he, again, he's a great driver, real conscientious. They just talk about the parents' role, the students' role. A lot of you know rules, a lot of things to watch and watch for, watch out for, to be careful for. There's a little log in there. So you could write down the times that you've been driving with your teen and what you're teaching them and working through. It's a lot of fun. He's doing a great job. We went to the uh, Nike employee store this Friday with our Basque student and somebody sent us a pass. And so I said, you're going to drive. And so about 30 minutes to get there on TV highway. And I thought that's the best way to learn is throw you in the middle of all kinds of hell on earth. And um, there's construction. And then and then I said, you're going to turn left against traffic on TV highway and you know that panicked some normal drivers but it was great worked it out you know sat there waited for the opening the window and and uh, we did he did a great job and my goal and I probably used maybe half a dozen uh, quotes from Star Wars or Lord of the Rings trilogy to communicate good driving skills there is a whole lot in those movies that can teach good life skills uh, so we're working on driving he was doing a great job and so we got to the employee store made our way back made a few other left turns on TV highway and it was good he's doing a really good job but a book like this is super helpful for mom and dad because it helps us step back and remember the initial truths that we need to learn, the do these, don't do these kind of things. And, and they organize it in a beautiful way. And as we were driving, as we were talking, you know, it came to my mind that this is really kind of what I'm talking about in the book of Psalms. This is really what the Bible talks about when it talks about life. It's much like a parent teaching their son or daughter to drive. Giving the instructions, teaching about the lane they should be in, talking about obstacles, talking about being careful on the right, being careful on the left, observing all the signs. That if 
you can learn these principles, learn these rules, these laws, you'll be a healthy driver. You'll be a safe driver. There's a lot of defensive driving skills you need to. My words are, and I hope you always remember these, just consider everybody else is a drunken idiot on the road and you'll be safe because you just don't know, right? But if you can really not just control your driving, but be aware of your surroundings, right? Because a Jedi is always aware of their surroundings. Um, there's another one. Uh, so the idea is that you can do a great job. Well, you think about that. That's really how the Bible presents itself. It's not a list of rules and not a paragraph on do this, don't do this. It's a story about living and breathing in a loving relationship with this loving God. And along the way, it teaches us a lot of things. It give us some, gives us some rules on what to do, some rules on what not to do. And it's really a, a, a great, uh, great manual for living. It's more than that. It's a love letter relationship. And in the book of Psalms, we see a lot of that heart. When I was a young person, 15 years old, just brand new uh, follower in Christ, my son's age, you know, it was this brand new world of the Bible and I was reading it, digging into it. I was challenged at a youth conference to read the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms every month. The book of Proverbs, because it will help your head. It'll help your mind. It'll give you wisdom. The book of Psalms, because it'll help your heart. It'll help your emotions to understand the ups and the downs and how you live in this world. And so I've loved the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. We preach Proverbs. Proverbs a couple times before, and we're preaching through Psalms. And we've seen some of the Psalms, like Psalm 1, uh, you know, just really about how to live life, how to firmly plant yourself into this stream of life that God provides for us to stay close to Him. And then the life will be blessed. Not without problems, not without pain, but you will have a blessed life. We've looked at Psalms like 23, Pastor Tony preached that on just following God, being shepherded by Father God. Uh, I looked at Psalm 19 after that. And it was great because it's like the heavens declare the glory of God. All you have to do is look out and see that God has put his fingerprints everywhere. And we can see God. And then it digs deep into our heart that we can know him personally. And so we've been walking through Psalms. We've seen some really exciting Psalms. We've seen some depressing Psalms. Hopefully my preaching wasn't depressing. But Psalm 42, 43 is about being in the wilderness. The deep, dark, desperate times of feeling like God has abandoned you. And you're out there in the wilderness, out there in the desert, and you're thirsty and dry. You don't know what to do. So these are the moments of the heart. These are the stories of the heart, the emotions. And as we work through the Psalms, we see some up and some down times, some sideways times. Today, we're going to see from specifically this Psalm of a writer who is Deeply in love with God. But the way he communicates this is by expressing how deeply in love he is with God's word. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 119. It's page, I believe, 468 in your chair Bible. And if you don't have a copy, you can grab that or start your app now, you know, and uh, we'll take a look at that. Psalm 119 is a fascinating psalm because it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's in the longest book of the Bible, the book of Psalms. And so Psalm 119 has a lot to say. Now, if you've ever uh, seen those cross-stitch samplers, anybody ever done cross-stitch? Okay, last night a bunch of guys raised their hand. That's good. Okay. All right. But um, uh, I I did cross-stitch when I was in college. I was in a singing group in a bus for a year and... You know, I couldn't read, so I did cross-stitch. But you do a sampler, and you take all the letters of the alphabet, and you put it up there in numbers or whatever. Uh, but the Psalms oftentimes, in our way, will hide their structure. Because we're not Hebrew. We don't read Hebrew. We don't have that culture. We don't have that language. And so we miss some of the poetry of the Hebrew Bible. 
sometimes we'll see uh, the writers in Hebrew do what's called parallelism or forms of that, where line one will say something and then line two will either agree with it or, you know, contrast with it. Sometimes a Hebrew writer will write a first line. And then that would be the A and then write a second line and that's a B and then go back to A or A, B, B, A or A, B, C, you know, then B, A. And it's really cool. In fact, if you've ever studied Luke 15, Jesus does that in his story of the three lost, the sheep, the coin and the son. And so it's very much a Hebrew mindset to structure it in a way that has a rhythm to it, not a rhythm like, you know. Jay-Z's new album or whatever, you know, not that. Uh, it's, not, it's not something that we would rhyme like a Dr. Seuss would rhyme, but it is an internal structure so that the reader or the learner, the follower, would discover some deep truth here. And so one of the, the little tricks that the psalmists will use is to start at the first letter of the alphabet and go to the end. So for us, there's 26 letters uh, and we've got A to Z. And so they would take all the letters and go A, B, C, D, E, F, G on down, and then each line would start with the first letter of that succession of the alphabet. Well, Hebrews, they have 22 letters for the alphabet. And so they start in Aleph, the beginning, and Beth, and Gemel, and they go on through there and they start their line. So if you ever see a psalm with 22 lines, it's probably because that's specifically chosen to illustrate the varying letters in the alphabet. It's a mnemonic device. It's a way to memorize the text, memorize the scripture. But Psalm 119 does it that much better. It takes the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and it breaks it up and each letter is used eight times. And so in your Bible, you will see a little preface to each of the eight sections in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, and it'll say Aleph and it will say Bet and it will say Gimel and it will work its way down. And so if you were memorizing it, and it's a long one, it's 176 you know, lines, if you were to memorize it, you know, you would be able to memorize it according to this mnemonic device to make it easier. Now, not in English, but in Hebrew, okay? So that's kind of how it's put together. We don't really know who the author was. We have no idea. There's 150 Psalms. David wrote 73. We see his name on those, and oftentimes the context of why and when he wrote the Psalm. And then we know that there are, you know, roughly 27 others that were written by priests or Levites and such, and they name their name, and we may know nothing about those people. Uh, next week we'll look at one of them, uh, a Psalm of ASAP. It's a beautiful one. Uh, Then there are 50 that are just completely anonymous. For whatever reason, the author didn't put their name. We don't know who the author was. But we, even though we don't know the name of this author, we know the purpose of why the author wrote this. And it's simply this. He is passionately in love with God's teaching. And he wants to know God by knowing God's heart as written down in the word of God. And so that's where we're at. So hopefully you've turned there. What I've decided to do is just pick four of them. I just want to share four that have meant a lot to me. Again, if you have other psalms, you can email them to me or start your own church and preach your own sermons. Um, I'd love to hear if you say, I've got to hear this one psalm. We've got time for that. Let us know who those, uh, which ones those are. So I want, to, I want to just show you four verses from Psalm 119 that are meaningful to me. And hopefully uh, there are ways that will help you remember those as well. Some pictures, actually, that go along with the words. So the first one is verse 11. It actually starts in verse 9, and the question is, how can a young person keep their way pure? 
That's a good question. How can anybody keep their way pure in this world today? And so, you know, I want to live according to your words. And this is what he says. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So how do I keep my way pure in this world? How do I make sure that I don't go off the trail, off the path into sinful areas? And I don't want to do that because I want to stay pure to you. So how do I do that? And this is what the writer says. The writer says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, in the book of Psalms and also in Proverbs, you'll see the sometimes translated literally as I have written it on the tablet of my heart. That's the idea there. And uh, it's, it's kind of a nice, cool idea. Not, not on the tablet of my heart, um, but on a clay tablet. This is how people used to communicate. This is the, the way of writing, the way of communicating, sending letters and such, making decrees. If you've ever been to any of the museums around the world, they're often big stone obelisk structures and they have letters writings on them and you can see those you can see things like the rosetta stone which is really important to understand the varying languages that we did not understand until those were found and so writing in stone was the way to do it or writing in clay was the way to do it and so a person would take a little piece of clay Uh, this one is only a few inches It's a small piece of clay, and before it hardened, you would take a stylus, an instrument, and you would begin to write on that. Now, you would write it out, and then the clay would harden, and then you would send it out, or it would be delivered, and you have written your word in clay. And so the writer says it this way, how do I hide it in my heart? It's like I want to write it in clay, the tablet of my heart. Think about that. Now, this is a cool one. This right here, none of you know cuneiform, correct? Okay, none of us know cuneiform. It looks like my chickens jumped all over this one and it dried and hardened, okay? Um, but, but this is cuneiform. This tablet is 4,000 years old. Now, the really cool thing about this tablet is not that it's 4,000 years old, but that this is the oldest complaint letter anyone has ever found. That's actually what this is. This is really cool, friends. This is a complaint letter from the Babylonian era. Now, now check this out. In the, uh, in, 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 this is found around Ur, the Chaldees there, the Babylonians, the Sumerian era, the cuneiform there. Somebody sent a servant to go buy a whole bunch of copper. And so he sent a lot of money with that, and he paid the money through the servant, and the servant brought back inferior copper. copper. And so this guy's angry that he got ripped off. And so he's writing the business owner, saying, this is what you've done. You've, you've ripped me off. You've given me an inferior product. I paid you with really good money, and now you're trying to send this back as what I'm supposed to have and purchase? I'm not satisfied. I want you to refund my money. Isn't that cool? Long before the internet, you could complain about things, right? Long before or you could go to Target and go to the complaint area. You could complain about things. So it's, it's kind of silly, but, but you know, archaeologists got really excited about this because you know, we know that culture 4,000 years ago was a lot like culture today, right? You, people get ripped off and they get angry and so they complain about it. So this is a 4,000-year-old complaint letter. Now, why I put this up there is, think about this. We have no idea who this guy is. We don't know anything about the transaction, We just know that he's expressing his frustration about an injustice. And 4,000 years later, we can still read that. Isn't that crazy? 4,000 years later, generation after generation after generation. This is is 4,000 years. If you go from now to the time of Jesus, that's 2,000 years. And then you go even beyond that. 
4,000 years. We're talking about the time of Abraham. This is a long time ago. And we still read it. Why? Because somebody wrote it on a tablet. And that tablet hardened. And even today, you can read those letters. Now, this is what it does for my heart. It helps me remember that when I take God's word into my life, when I memorize it, when I meditate on it, when I absorb it, it it profits me. It shows up at all kinds of times, different seasons of my life. I've memorized uh, a lot of Psalms back and forth, other scriptures, and they will still come back to me. I've shared with you a number of times the reason I'm using the NIV, even though our Bibles and the chairs are new living, because I memorized a lot of these in the NIV. And if you've ever, you know, memorized a scripture and then you're using a different translation, it just messes you up, right? Because it's like I'm trying to quote this and it's like I go off into some weird, I make it up myself, my own version, right? Because I'm used to this. Why? Because I've written God's word in my heart like a clay tablet and it's stuck that way. And I'll often quote some King James because when I was a kid, as King James, when I was a brand new believer, King James, I memorized in King James and it's, it's got some beauty to it. It's got some mystery to some of the words in the, the age, but the fact is, is it's God's word and it's written on my heart. Last week we were looking at Psalm 139 and I shared that that's one that I memorized and I quoted as I go to sleep at night 30 years ago. I picked it up as a psalm as a night watchman in college so I could stay awake and stay alert and I memorized that text about 20 years ago. I started quoting it to myself as I would go to sleep and I've still done that and it just pops into my head. I I don't even have to think about it. My head hits the pillow and all of a sudden the words come up all of a sudden the words Just start in my mind. Because like the tablet of my heart, God's words have been printed on them. Now think about this. The writer, he asks this question, how could a person stay pure? How can a person walk a pure path? Well, memorize scripture. Take God's word in. Quote it. Make sure that as you're living the scripture out, it's deeply embedded in your heart. I told you years ago when we were going through the book of Romans that uh, in my youth, when I was a high school student, I worked at a, a gas station, a mechanic's place, and I would work on cars and pump gas and things like that. And, and uh, that, that was a difficult time for me to stay pure. A lot of lustful thoughts, a lot of conversations of lust, a lot of jokes about lust in the shop. And so I wanted to be pure. And so I took God's word in my heart. I memorized Romans 6. I memorized it in King James. And I I personalized it to my own specific need here. And so I just memorized it. And even to this day, to this day, I'm 52 years old. To this day, stuff I've memorized when I was 15, 16, 17, 18 years old still comes to my mind in King James. Okay? And it still pops up in a lustful situation. And it's very simple. It's very clear. It's like, what shall I say then? Shall I continue to lust that grace may abound? God forbid. Don't I know that I've died to lust? How can I continue to live in it any longer? Don't I know that when I died, and I just go on and I don't make it all the way to the end. All right? Because usually by that time I'm on to something else. When you embed God's word in your heart, when you write it on the tablet of your heart, it solidifies and it will keep you pure. If you choose to walk that way, you know, I full confession, I don't always do that, right? I'll, the verse will start up and I'll want to do something else. These days, my struggle is more with food. And my verse is, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's an easy one. Anybody can memorize that, right? And it had to do with Peter falling asleep in prayer, you know, and Jesus quoted that. But it's like, I know I want to stay okay with food, and then I run to food instead, all right? And so, what are those things that you struggle with? What are those 
ways of wisdom that you need for your life. Find a scripture. Now, if you're dealing with a you know, cell phone contract from AT&T, there's no scripture about that one, you know. Um, but I'm telling you, my friends, the Bible talks about everything in your life. Because the principles, the truth of scripture are eternal. And God's word will last. And when you have a need, either it's a struggle or it's an issue or it's something you're trying to do, and you take God's word into your heart, when you write it on the tablet of your heart, it will help you. It will be there in your day, in your time of need. I, uh, since a young person, I've envisioned the scripture and the, the, the truths of the scripture, Psalms, Proverbs, all over the place, as these pillars that hold up my life. And there may not be a specific pillar to instruct me on this or that, but I can walk between those pillars and it will keep everything upright. And it will guide me in the right path. If you, just my friends, if you have a struggle, if there's something going on, if there's a pressure, if there's a weight, if there's a, an issue... And you can't find a Bible verse, would you just send me an email and just say, Pastor James, here's kind of my struggle. Can you offer some verses? I, I will give you a couple of verses because I love to do that. Because I think the Bible is super practical, my friends. It talks about all the parts of our life. Might not be narrowly focused on your issue, but generally the spotlight of God's word will shine light onto that area. And you can memorize it, and I just proof positive will tell you it will guide you and it will keep you strong and it will help you get through stress and struggles a couple years ago i was in a a, just internally a real difficult time and felt a lot of pressure and just a lot of intense um just just intense weight on me and I, i was having a hard time sleeping at night and i would wake up i would be awake at night and i felt like my chest is heavy you know i told my wife i said mary beth maybe i should go in and maybe i'm having a heart attack i don't know it was just a lot of weight so i started memorizing psalm 27 it was all about why should i fear whom should i fear you know this idea that i can put my trust in god and man it helped me it helped me sleep it relieved my stress it helped me Because God's word is powerful and sharp and it will speak into us. But my friends, you have to take it in your heart and you have to hide it there. The next verse I want to show you is one that I I love from a, a picture standpoint. Psalm 119 verse 32. I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. And that's it. Wildwood trail right there. Um, I hope you've been to Forest Park. How many of you have been to Forest Park? Okay. How many of you have been on the Wildwood Trail? Okay, you're free to leave church right now and drive to Forest Park and have a spiritual experience. Because I'm telling you, I connect with God in Forest Park in a way that I don't on TV Highway. (laughs) If you know what I'm talking about. When I can take off, when I can put running clothes on and put my shoes on and head out to the trail, man, life is different there. And the psalmist writes, he says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. I think deep inside all of us want to be free. Unfortunately, we oftentimes believe lies about freedom. We believe uh, these things that the enemy of our soul, the devil himself, will, will twist and turn and think, if I just have that, I'll be free. If I could just have no restrictions, then I'll be free. And the psalmist says here, you know what? I've come to terms with the fact that God has made a path for me. And if I can be on that path, that's where freedom is found. 
and I run in the path of your commands. And so uh, most of Wildwood Trail is single track, and uh, at times my wife and I will go run it. Uh, my family, we've done a couple 5Ks down there. It's just a great. And my boys love it too. It's like there's something special. Uh, we all either start, we'll either start there at the zoo, you know, right there at the, the zero marker, or we'll go up like to mile nine and a quarter by the Audubon Society area. But we'll just get on the track and the trail, and all of a sudden everything just fades away except the beauty of God's nature, his creation who just speaks to us is all around it and we just run in that path and it's a beautiful thing now, i think about that in relationship to all of life you know when you look at the commands of god um, there's there's a lot of them you could look at the ten commandments thou shalt thou shalt not those are not there to restrict us those are there to free us we think freedom is being able to do whatever we want that's not freedom freedom is living under god's heart to do what we should do and when we do that that is true freedom when we listen to God's words, we read God's word, we take them in, whether it's through sermons, podcasts, or what are hopefully our own reading of scripture, we say, okay, God, that's what I'm going to do. It's like God is setting a path for us. And if we stay in that lane, if we stay in that path, it is the free life that God offers to us. And when we were driving, talking to Josiah about it, it's like they painted white lines on this side and yellow lines on this side and, you know, maybe dash lines over here and there are lanes and the goal is to stay in the middle of the lane as you're driving and you stay alert, you stay awake and you're noticing all your surroundings and you notice other cars, you notice signs, you look, check your mirrors, but you stay in the path, you stay in the lane because that's where safety is found. You notice the cars ahead of you, you make sure you're giving space. And when I think about that, I think about... That's how life is and that's how our God is. Our Father has put a lane for us to run in. And he's put some lines there to warn us. And if you, if you know, think about the average road, there's a white line on the right and there's a little bit of a shoulder. Maybe there's a sidewalk. Uh, maybe there's a dirt shoulder. Maybe there's a ditch. If, if it's pretty intense, you're up in a cliff area, you know, they'll put a guardrail on the side there. Why? Because they don't want you to have fun and run your life over, right? It's like, that's what I should do. It's like, no, no, no. Have you seen people that go down that cliff? <laughs> We've put a guardrail for your safety. And the goal of life isn't to scrape your car against the guardrail all day long, right? The goal of life is to stay safely in the lane. And if you go too far the other way, you hit oncoming traffic, right? We were talking this week about, you know, safety cones and TV highway. There's a lot of construction. Cornelius Pass. And it's like you've got to give clearance for the road workers. They're out there flaggers. They're doing their work. It's dangerous. Or, or maybe there's a, a bicyclist on the side. Cyclist is going by. You give them some space, you know. They need a clear lane, too. Or if there's a police officer on the side pulling somebody over, you, gotta, you have to give them clear space. So you watch your mirrors. You watch and you drive in that lane and you'll be safe. That's the way it's intended to be. And in life, God has laid out a path for us to follow. You know, really, truly, that's following Jesus. That's following the path that Jesus has laid out. He himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. He said, the truth, you will know the truth through him, and the truth will set you free. It will set you free. It will not restrict you. It will not bind you. It will not, you know, shut down the wonderful, awesome things you can do. It will teach you. That his path is the path, the best path. And yeah, it'll mean saying no to things, but it'll really mean saying yes to a lot more things. And so he says, I run in the path of your commands. And I love what he says, for you have set my heart free. Think about that. If you truly want to be free, my friends, run in the path of his commands. 
which takes us to the next one. It's kind of cool. This, uh, this verse here, verse 97 of Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. The guy's whack, man. <laughs> When's the last time you went to a police officer? Oh, how I love the law. It's like, what? You know, just buy me a coffee and that'll be fine. You know what I mean? It's like, no, no, no. Oh, how I love your law. What's going on here? Well, we, we as Christians, we often kind of translate that into, oh, how I love your Bible. And, and that's okay. It's, it's not actually what it says. It's a good secondary. It's like, oh, I'm reading the book of Ephesians. Oh, how I love the Ephesians letter or whatever. Truth is, he's talking about a specific section of books. Uh, when the word law shows up, it's, it's actually the word Torah uh, in Hebrew, which means uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, Genesis, full of really powerful stories, um, a lot of dysfunctional families. If you want to see how not to live as a family, read Genesis, okay? They are messed up people right there, okay? Very disturbed. Okay, so Genesis is there, but it's the story of creation and all that, story of Noah and Abram and all, all, all the descendants. Um, I mean, so I can see Genesis is exciting. Exodus, that's really exciting because you got Moses and the burning bush, and that's cool. And you got the Ten Commandments and the plagues and all that stuff, and the deliverance out of Egypt. And you got some commands, those are good. But then, oh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus? Oh, how I love Leviticus. I've never heard anybody say that. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say that. Then you get to the next book. What's it called? Numbers. Have you read Numbers? It's a book of Numbers. You're like, if you're an accountant, that's a good book maybe, you know, the book of Numbers. And then Deuteronomy. Oh, Deuteronomy is kind of the retelling of all the law. Um, you know what he says? I love your teachings from my heart. You see, the word Torah uh, carries this idea of a spear, a javelin being thrust, hurled at our heart. There's some Greek pottery here that illustrates this idea. God has a way of penetrating our soul, my friends. God has a way of peeling back the layers. The New Testament says that the word of God is, is sharp. It, it'll, it'll pierce us. It'll penetrate us. It's like this really sharp sword that cuts both ways. And it will open us up. And he says, I love that about your law. I love your law. It's this javelin that you have hurled at me. Now, to get the picture, if you've read the Bible, you know the story of David. Uh, David is this young man and he conquers this Goliath, chops off his head and everything. He just uses a few small stones and a sling. And then he gets put into the, the, you know, the rulership, the leadership, the household of the king, King Saul. And so he's playing this harp. And the harp soothes the king's heart, the king's mind. King's a little crazy. Saul's a little crazy. There are a couple times where Saul is angry, crazy, little delusional, angry at David. And he grabs a spear and he throws it at David with the intent to stick him to the wall. Got that picture? All right. The psalmist says, your word penetrates and pierces me. It's like a, a javelin thrown at my heart. Because that's where I find truth. You speak the truth directly to my heart. You expose me for who I really am and my motives and my thoughts. And you teach me the right way. He says, I love your law. I love your law. Now, we're, we're, we're modern day Christians and we're New Testament people. And there's a lot of Christians who don't even have an Old Testament because that's old. Did you know that? The Old Testament's old. The New Testament, you know what it is? It's new. That's right. It's like, who likes old stuff? You know, maybe some antique dealers, but we like new stuff. I want new, new, right? But you know, the Old Testament is beautiful. 
Do you know that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is called the law? Because it's the teaching of God's heart for his people. Now, I know there's a lot of sacrifices and bloody stuff like that going on in there. But what this writer is saying is, you know, you took time, God, to unveil your heart to us. And I want you to penetrate my heart and pierce my heart with the truth. And so I will meditate on it. Meditate means to uh, just think about, ruminate. Um, It's the word mutter. We saw that in in Psalm 1. I'll I'll talk to myself. It's like, that's really good. You know, you're a little crazy a little bit. Singing in the shower is fine. But walk around talking to yourself all day. That's what it means. It means to continue to talk about God's words internally. Maybe externally, right? Um, You just think about God's word over and over again. You read a text in the morning. You just think about it again and again. You memorize it. You put it in your heart. It comes back out. You're just really processing that over and over again. He says, God, I love your law. And I'll meditate on it all day long. Now, when you think about that, that's super convicting for me. Because I meditate on a lot of things. I mull over a lot of things. I think about a lot of things during the day. I have a lot of responsibilities. You do too. A lot of assignments during the day. You do too. I have a lot of goals and dreams. You do too. We think about those things a lot. But do we also do that for God's word? Are we consumed with this beauty of God and knowledge of God that comes from the revealed word of God? That's what this guy says. And then finally, this picture right here. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light from my path. Now, these lamps over here, this is a museum picture. On the right are more Old Testament style lamps the time of David and really the initial lamps were nothing more than some bowls of pottery that were folded together that had little corners and you would put a wick down there and you put some olive oil in there and it would burn in the New Testament these are more of this style uh, this is what you know Jesus would have used when he was talking about uh, the virgins with the lamps and things like that and so I have a, a, a version of that it's not an ancient one uh, it's an Amazon one and um, and so it's just a little clay uh, Lamp. It's small. It fits in the palm of your hand. And this is what the writer says. He says, your word, I'm just going to use a lighter because that'll be easier, is like this much light. Think about that. That's all you had, this much light. Some of you are turning off your tablets right now. Okay. Um, If all you had was this, how would you get around? Well, see, that's the beauty of what the psalmist is saying. He says, your word is just enough light to see the next step. Your word is like a lamp to my feet. In those days, homes were small, 600, 800 square foot. Uh, Basically, two big rooms, a back room, and then the front room is divided into three areas. So they call it a four-room house. Abraham lived in a four-room house. Jesus would have lived in a four-room house. Small place. At night, you're safe within your house. You hear a noise. You need to go get up. And so you light a lamp, and this is all you get. They call this one candle power or I call it one bic power okay Uh, one lighter power that's all this is and you know what though my friends when it's dark this is enough to see the next step oftentimes at night it was so hot they sleep up on the roof maybe they get the benefit of the stars and the Milky Way and the moon Um, but really they would go out with this much light probably wouldn't go out much at night you know there's a lot of treacherous things at night um But you could get around your house if your eyes adjust. All of a sudden you begin to realize this is not going to show me 10 steps away. But this is going to show me the next step. And you know what I really need? I need the next step. 
um, in AA, you know, we talk about this as, you know, do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. What, what has God revealed to you already? Um, talked to a friend last night. He's losing his job. It's folding up. It's going to be gone. I have a couple of friends like that now. And I don't know what a year from now holds. But what's the next thing God wants you to do? He reveals a lot in his word about the next thing. About trusting in him. And doing the next right thing. Some of you, your marriages are struggling. Or you've got friends who have marriages that are struggling. And you don't know the end of everything, but you know, what's the next right thing to do? In friendships? In all those relationships? In your future? In your goals? People wonder, what, what should I do? Where should I go? I want to know God's will. You know, trust me, when you read through the Bible, you discover God has revealed a whole lot of his will in the Bible. The things that are personal for you, he can reveal those to you personally. But here's what I tell people, especially young people. Just look at what he's already revealed and just do that. And if you do that, he'll guide your next steps. So let's get the lights on. Uh, Some of you have started to panic already. Um, And if you ask me, this isn't as comforting as I'd like it to be. I want a million candle power, searchlight, spotlight. But then I would have too much confidence in myself. And if I can stay close and dependent upon God, he will show me the next step. Because his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Here, I've got an assignment for you this week. Um, if you, on your way out in the foyer, stop over by the small groups area. Uh, we, we always do this for our small group leaders. But this is the sermon notes. Um, again, you know, kind of what I've wanted to say uh, on the back of it always give a little discipleship activity it's good for personal family small group and it's just some questions from your head your heart your hands and i put 10 questions today so here would be an assignment i I think it'd be great for you Uh, it's just to take time carve out some time enough time to read all 176 verses of psalm 119 don't concern yourself about the structure the flow necessarily don't study it just read it Just start at the beginning and go to the end. And just start asking questions. Uh, Notice the different ways the writer talks about the Bible. The writer will say it's the word, the statutes, the law, it's the commands, it's your testimony, it's your truth. A lot of synonyms, right? Uh, But they all mean something in the context of that verse. And then see how the writer says, okay, your law, your word, your instruction now does something or gives me a benefit of something. You know, if I do this, it does something in my life. If I need this, then I go to your word. Start to notice how the writer begins to describe his relationship to the word of God. Now, he's not an idolater of the word. He's just saying he loves God and God has been so wonderful to reveal his word. He loves his word. He loves his testimony. He loves his truth because it's everything he needs to know the direction of his life. And then there are some other questions in there just about wrestling with this in our life. Things like, you know, a scale of one to a hundred, you know, one to a thousand. Where are you at in relationship to loving God's word and loving God? Where are you at in relationship to obedience and following some of the things that the writer's talking about? And I'd encourage you to grab that because you could use that personally. You could use it. If you don't have a small group or if your group's off at the summer, just grab some friends. You know, a really cool thing to do is to grab some friends and just sit in a living room or in a circle somewhere and just start reading it and just make sure you have the same translation or you'll be really confused. And just everybody read a verse. And just go around. And don't stop. Just read the whole thing. All 176 verses. And not only read it, but listen to it being read. It's a beautiful thing to experience God's word in that way. Because, again, as your pastor, I don't want you just to know it up in your head. 
It's in our heart. It's in our hands and our feet that we would live it out. Because I, I firmly believe this. What, what we need as a church and what the world needs around us is not just more church people that know the Bible up here, but followers of Jesus who actually do the Bible and who walk the Bible out and who live the words of Scripture. That's what we need. I know we're not going to be perfect on it. I know we're going to struggle in many ways, but we have this family to encourage and challenge and support each other. So would you pray with me? So Father God, as we think about your word, your word being life, your word being true, your word being a path, I pray God that we would um, really truly know it, that we would spend the time, carve out part of our, our day, morning, evening, noon, whenever it is, and really just focus on it. Isolate ourselves from everything else except to focus on your word. And then you would turn that penetrating stare back at us and reveal truth to us. Some things of our lives that we need. We need to start, stop, change, do whatever. To be more like Jesus Christ, the one we worship, the one we follow. Um, He knew your words so well. He quoted your words so much. In temptation, he answered with your word. In trials, he spoke your word. He revealed truth in the midst of his troubles. In betrayal and denial and crucifixion, he was always quoting your words, Lord. It meant that much to him. May it mean that much to us. And may we understand, like Jesus, our Savior, the power of your word and what it can accomplish in our life. We pray in his name. Amen.